Behold, everyone, and welcome to Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where I, Zach Jenkins, and my co-host, Adam Reck, go through three X-Men stories, and we decide how they fare against every other X-Men story of all time. Adam, how are we doing today? Behold, I am ready to Ragnarok. And I hope you are too, because this week we are talking about some of my personal favorite X-Men and New Mutant stories. And, uh, you know, I'm very biased about this. Uh, there's a lot of nostalgia here. So I'm really excited. And I'm really, really excited because we have a special guest straight from Asgard to help us do this. Uh, do you want to tell them who's joining us today? I mean, I, I can. It is the one, the only Elizabeth Alley from the Lightning in the Storm Woo-hoo. podcast. Elizabeth, how are we doing today? Great. Thank you so much for having me. Nah, thank you for being on. It's uh, going to be a real exciting thing. We figured uh, <laughs> we figured if we're going to be talking about Thor stuff in Asgard, we might as well get the you know best experts we can. Perfect. Thank you. Well, I appreciate your faith in me. I'm only a little bit afraid. Oh, don't be afraid. Uh, <laughs> oh, you'll you'll survive the experience. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I got to ask before we get into the X Men stuff. Uh, Elizabeth, what was your take on on Thor Ragnarok? I think all three of us have seen it by now. So yes. uh, what'd you think? You know, I I loved it with a few reservations. Like Thor Ragnarok is so fun and it's so funny. And I love the way they kind of juiced it. The It's like they have a lot of faith in Thor as a character. It didn't feel like a second sequel. It, it felt kind of like a new beginning, which was yeah. great. And, And it was so funny and there were so many nods to comic book history in it, but it made me wish that there was a little bit more of the actual comics in it, but that's Mm. just my inner nerd. Well, I can understand that. Yeah, I can buy that. (laughs) How about you guys? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, you know, but I can I can see where you're coming from, especially having just done that huge recap that you guys did of the Simonson era. You know, it's definitely de- not a a literal uh, product. So you know, yeah, I and awesome. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, it didn't. It normally I don't believe there should be straight recap. You know, straight adaptations of comics to movies because it's two different mediums. You know, mm-hmm. if you really want that, you can go read it. It still exists. So I I do love what they what they did with it. Um, Thor's haircut. You know, I got used to it really fast, and you know, the relationship with him and Loki is always a highlight. And yeah, just all the jokes. Yeah, no, I loved it. I, I mean, it. for me, it was the impetus to, you know, get off my reading list and say, OK, now I really have to just finish the Simonson Thor stuff. And <laughs> like I, I got through Cert War and I was like, OK, here's a good stopping point. I'm going to do some other things now. And it just fell off my list for a while. And the moment I got home from that movie, I was like, OK, and I'm going to load this back up and I'm going to read all of this. And I'm now down to uh, I think I saw it like two weeks ago and I have five issues of the Simonson run left and I'm loving every second of it. 
Nice. So you've gone through Frog Thor. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh. One of the many high points. Yeah, it's going to be important. And, you know, obviously you've gone through all of it. Adam, what's your uh, familiarity with the Walt Simonson Thor epic? I think epic's the right word. Yeah, oh, yeah. I started started reading it earlier this year, um, but I didn't get up to Throg yet. So um, as soon as I finish that, I'll let you know. <laughs> but I've, <laughs> I have been listening to the recaps uh, on your podcast, Elizabeth, and they have been awesome. So thank you for doing that show. Oh, I was just going to say full props to Miles because, you know, that was his that was his dream podcast. And I was very lucky to be taken along with him. I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was a good time. It's awesome. We're glad you guys did it. However, the first story we have does not directly tie into uh, the stuff that was going on in uh, Simonson's Thor, but it's going to become very relevant to everything else on the list. Yes. This is X-Men and Alpha Flight numbers one and two it was written by chris claremont with pencils by paul smith inks by bob wyack and colors by glennis oliver this is a kind of strange story for me like this is this is always collected with the asgard war stuff which if you haven't figured it out by this point in the podcast we are covering asgard war later like come on guys (laughs) come on Uh, but this is always kind of an oddball for me. Now, I was never a big Alpha Flight guy, and having not really dug into the Asgard stuff until pretty recently, when I had first gone through this series, all of that was new to me. Uh, Adam, what's your what was your relationship with any of the other non-X-Men entities going in on this time? I think this is probably a good point to mention that this book, and I'm holding it in my hands right now, which features X-Men and Alpha Flight and then the Asgardian Wars. This book was my introduction as a kid to both X-Men and New Mutants. So prior to this, I kind of knew that they existed, but I picked this up at, there used to be a comic book store in the Baltimore Inner Harbor Mall. And my parents bought this for me. I don't even know why. Um, and this was my introduction to this world. So that's that's one of the reasons I, I ha- you know, think of it so fondly. But I mean, talk about not knowing what the heck is going on. Like this is by itself, even knowing all the continuity, this is a weird story, right? Oh, yeah. That's a beautiful introduction in so many ways. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a little teary. I'm getting a little teary. Um, For me, like I was a huge, I still am a huge John Byrne fangirl. So I had read all of Alpha Flight and I had read all of X-Men, but I started like in 1989. So I never even, if I saw it, I didn't even recognize it because I was going through the back issues of the X-Men and the Alpha Flight. And a lot of the side series I kind of thought was a waste of my money because I was, mm-hmm. you know, so committed to filling in all of uh, the, the back issues. But this actually does fill in some holes with my X-Men knowledge that I always wondered about. So I, I, I find it really fascinating now. Yeah, I- this is this is such an odd thing. For me, because you bring in all the X-Men, which, you know, they've got, who's on the team? Wolverine, Shadowcat, Rogue, Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Rachel Summers at the time. You bring in all of Alpha Flight, and there's like seven people on that. Then you bring in the Berserkers, who are a brand new team that have uh, Madeline Pryor on it, and a bunch of first time they've ever shown up, and I think the last time they've ever shown up characters. Yeah. (laughs) Who all get 
Nordic superpowers. It's very... I Adam, I don't know how this was your introduction to X-Men. You said, yes, this is something I would like to continue <laughs> my time with. Well, I think... It's, you know, anybody that's anybody that's jumping into any point of X continuity, you know, because everybody has one of these stories is like, you know, like, where did they jump in? And I think that one of the mystifying things about that is you're wondering, who the heck are these people? You know, um, I, I remember glossing over this part a little bit more and rereading what we're going to talk about next repeatedly. Um, but that's, you know, I still read this over and over again, and it was still a pretty good introduction to who the Paul Smith era of the X-Men are. I think, you know, his artwork throughout this is absolutely gorgeous, um, but it is just an interesting kind of existential quandary that Loki puts upon these characters. Because the the basic premise is that, um, you know, we've got normal super scientisty folks that are being flown around by Scott and Maddie, who then get transformed into these sort of superpowered giants who are capable of remaking the world into a better place. But to do it, there are sacrifices, you know, and they're ultimately not willing to make them. So it's an interesting parable, all, you know, in and of itself. The first time I read it was probably three years ago, and I think it was for the first time I guessed it on Jane Miles Explain the X-Men, and uh, it was before I had read Thor. So it seemed really bizarre, like the costumes and things seemed really bizarre to me. And then reading it again for now, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're dressed like Asgardians. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Paul Smith gets that so well. Like he just does such a beautiful job and he's my favorite artist for, for Madeline, you know, like he mm -hmm. created her to a degree and this is the best story I feel you ever get. I mean, I love Inferno Madeline, but non crazy, just Madeline as a normal person and her and Scott as a functional couple, like this is the most like story she ever gets. Yeah, and you, you get the uh, great moment of them finding out that Madeline is pregnant with Nathan Christopher Charles Dayspring of Scotty Sun Summers, which... <coughs> um, <laughs> wait, uh, first of all, you get Charles Xavier outing Madeline's oh, pregnancy sure. okay, yeah, without so her consent. That is a no-no. <laughs> and Professor Xavier is, as usual, a jerk. <laughs> Always. Always a jerk. <laughs> Well, really, let Madeline tell her husband, you know, their their lives, their marriage was doomed at that moment. You know, old Professor X, he just has to come in and meddle. Yeah, that wasn't great. I I had forgotten that that's how they found out. Mm. <laughs> I, I'm glad you mentioned, though, that this is a, a really great Madeline centric story. We've gotten a lot of flack from people um, since we did our Inferno episode. And Zach and I are not the biggest Inferno, you know, fans. Um, but uh you know, I love Madeline Pryor, but one of the things I don't like about Inferno is that I feel like her character kind of gets assassinated in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. it's awesome to have this two-parter, which is mammoth. I mean, it's almost a hundred pages long over two issues and you get this gorgeous Paul Smith art and Madeline really does get to, you know, be the central character in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, yep. end of the day, it's Madeline's choice that really decides this whole thing her saying that no loki who had given all these people their powers i don't think we mentioned that uh no loki we're not going to give these sacrifices for this power it's not worth it and i think that's very mm -hmm. important it shows a lot of her character it makes it a little rougher later down the line where she does say oh yeah uh, forget everyone else i will let the world burn but 
<laughs> that's that's post-divorce, Madeline, you know. <laughs> well, like, yeah. I, I just, uh, for the website, just wrote up something for Mr. Sinister, which should be up by the time anyone's listening to this. In having to go through all the stuff she went through for Inferno, I was like, oh, man, Madeline, Madeline had it rough. Those were... Oh yeah, those were some bad, oh, yeah. bad years for her. Hmm. No, well, the kidding. whole the hole this filled in for me is uh, before she turns and they're uh, all captured on Genosha. There's a scene of her in prison talking about how she used to be a healer and she used to have healing powers, oh, and that used to right. drive me crazy. And I would go back through my my back issues and I'd be like, "What is this?" And and <laughs> so reading this was this like. 20 years later this aha oh moment there it is any editors listening this is why the low asterisk is very important and we all want it back and more frequently (laughs) yeah please i don't i don't care what the marketing data says i want it back but i want it back too no it's i think this Um, is a fun issue i think in the grand scheme of things there's some big things that happen like you find out that madeline's pregnant you get her experiencing you know, being super powered and all that stuff. And you get that nice little extra relationship between Scott and Rachel that you -hmm. don't get enough of in the initial X-Men run. So I think all of that is a good part of it. I do think the downsides are it's very busy. Like, I don't think Alpha Flight is all that important in this crossover. No offense to any Alpha Flight fans we have out there, but they feel like they exist and they're around to have some more magical spiritual characters to deal with the uh, sacrifice side of it. But Mm -hmm. I don't know how much they add to this story. That's fair. Yeah. In a way it's like Heather's story is kind of a weak parallel to Madeline's where she just kind of Mm -hmm. gets her heart's desire and she's like, Oh, I'm a leader now. I'm not kind of extraneous, but she's still a little bit extraneous (laughs) to the story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do we want to think about where we would rank this? Um, so I'm, I'm going to say it's whatever, wherever this is, Asgardian War is going higher than it. That's what I do know. Uh, yeah. I yeah. I, I mean, this is the um, the catalyst for that, but it's certainly not. I, I don't I don't hold this in as high esteem as the other book, which you'll hear me go absolutely bananas for in a moment. <laughs> so um I'm looking towards like top 15 though. I mean, uh, is it, it's, I don't think this is better than examinations because examinations okay. is the best part of that entire X factor run. I don't think this, I don't think this gets that I, where I would look, I think it's probably better than, I know it's definitely better than the, the tomorrow people, the first run or the first arc of ultimate X-Men. Uh, mm-hmm. I, Definitely don't think it's better than examinations. I don't think it's better than uh, the first arc of Peter David's uh, X Factor investigations either. So I think it to me it's somewhere so we're between going... the Tomorrow People and Giant Size X Men number one. Elizabeth, what are your yeah, thoughts one... on this? I would. <laughs> you have a copy I would... of the list. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would definitely put it above Excalibur Mojo Mayhem. Okay, okay. I think that's fair. And... With Messiah War, I don't know if I've read it or if I'm blanking on it. Which one is Messiah War? It's the one where X-Force goes into the future where Cable is with uh, Baby Hope and they fight Strife. It's from oh, like 2008, yeah. 2000, 2008, I think. 
So yes. I think this is better than that. I, I think that's fair. I can put it there. Yep, 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 yep. That's right before I started reading X-Men again. But I've I've read around there and I would agree. This is better. This is like some beautiful, weird, three-headed puppy. You know, like it's so bizarre, <laughs> but it's still adorable. <laughs> yeah. I also, I would love to put it above Executioner's Song, and you know I love Executioner's Song, so I feel like it's slowly edging up. So you like Executioner's Song more than I do, so I'm fine. Yes. I am fine with having it bump there with your permission, of course. Okay. So I would say Giant Size is probably overall a stronger thing. Like, I'll, I'll tell you, every time I read this story, it feels a bit disjointed to me. It feels a mm-hmm. bit extraneous. There's some important things that end up happening in it, but they aren't the core of the story. They aren't the big running themes in the story. They're things that happen during it. So, okay. I, I, I'm I fine say with that. it there. Uh, Elizabeth, you okay with that? You? All right. So, what are we saying between Giant Says X Men and Executioner's Song? Yes. Yes. That, yeah, I totally agree with that, actually. All right. You. Perfect. <laughs> Stripe is the worst. <laughs> he's, he's so awesome. No, actually, I love how much I hate him. Like, you're just like, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, man. So that one put down. X-Men and Alpha Flight, volume one, because apparently there is a sequel to this that came out in the mid-90s, written and drawn by John Cassidy, that I had never heard of until, like... Uh, I didn't know either. You just told me really? that before the show. Yeah. Is it an actual sequel? I mean, it's two issues, and I think the cover says something about uh, being a sequel or a return or blast from the past. That's what it says on it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Go check that out. Yep. So, but that's not what we're talking about because we all just found out that, that that existed in the last hour and have yet to read it. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Let's get to the uh, let's get to the important stuff. Yeah, Zach. Let's, okay? let's get to Asgardian War. <laughs> What I'd like Elizabeth to do, if she wouldn't mind, is provide context. What was Asgard going through at this time? Because this is in an incredibly specific point in continuity. Oh my goodness. Okay, so so much has happened. Um, Asgard has banded together, you know, Loki, Odin, and Thor finally teamed up to destroy Surtur in the Surt War. And uh, in, uh, you know, in beating Surtur, Odin is gone. He's not exactly dead, but he's gone and he's he's not coming back, which has left a huge power vacuum, which Loki had originally wanted to take advantage of. You know, he, in X-Men and Alpha Flight number one, he was basically talking to the Asgardian gods, gods being like, hey, I was pretty good in Surt War. You should give me my heart's desire. And that was kind of the framework that X-Men and Alpha Flight you know, uh, was against. He was offering them these wonderful gifts. And in exchange, he was hoping to become, you know, the next ruler of Asgard. They defied him. So Surtur's gone. Everyone's gone. And Thor has now taken all of the Asgardians and the Anhariar and taken them down into hell to defeat Hela because she has these innocent mortal souls that she shouldn't have. So Basically, everyone in Asgard who has any sort of power is down in hell. They can't be reached. Loki is mad at the X-Men for blowing his chance of greater godhood, and he is looking for a a loophole to get his revenge. 
Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So that happens. And that that's a great recap. It's even better in comic <laughs> form. So people need to pick that stuff up. Totally. Oh, so that happens. And in the X-Men world, the New Mutants have just gotten uh, Karma back from the Shadow King. Uh, she's put on some weight, thanks to him. Uh, oh, such an unfortunate uh, story. Yeah, that, I, I don't. They. It's one of the weakest parts of this book. Yeah, it really a... hasn't aged well. No. The only no. the only thing that that saves this is that this is a uh, her journey, and I don't want to spoil it right now. Precisely mirrors Baldur's journey in Nornheim, like yes. to the minute. Like there's some sort of mm-hmm. spiritual rehab boot camp they have in Nornheim, and that part is cool. <laughs> and that's, but the that's fat cool. shaming is not cool. Not that's not great. But uh, you're bringing up something that I absolutely love. So I'd read this story a ton of times before because this is a pretty classic X-Men story. However, I had not read it after I had read all the uh, stuff in Simonson's Thor. So there was a lot of stuff I had missed on the first run. Going back through this with the context of Simonson's Thor epic, oh my gosh, it hit all, it checked all my boxes. This is great because it starts out the new mutants get captured by the Enchantress because uh, at the end of the Alpha Flight series, Loki was given two stipulations, or really just one stipulation. He couldn't hurt the Mm X-Men. However, he had no problem with the Enchantress hurting the new mutants. That was a nice (laughs) little loophole that the uh, Prince of Lies was all about. Well, and also he wanted Aurora to be his queen. He like spied her on yes. Midgard and had a little crush on her and thought, hey, you know, Thor's gone. She used to wield, you know, the thunder and the lightning. I can bring her up and install her as my new figurehead. Exactly. So he he gets this plan to bring them up. And what happens is everyone gets separated and they all go on their own little hero's journeys. So as we uh, we said, uh, Karma gets sent into the desert and essentially does Balder the Brave's entire uh, first arc in Thor, which is really cool. Magic becomes the Enchantress's uh, slave for a little bit and kind of just learns all of her spells. Magma mm-hmm. becomes one of the uh, fairies, which is a, another callback to an arc in Simonson's Thor. Sunspot mm-hmm. just becomes a warrior and loves it. Wolf's brain, oh my Wolf's brain falls in love I with love Prince Himari, who's a wolf mm-hmm. guy. Uh, Cypher becomes a slave. Warlock bats out of hell. And Cannonball, uh, Cannonball hangs out with some dwarves. Hangs out with oh, them. and yeah. then Danny Moonstar becomes a Valkyrie. That's pretty important. That's that's the big yeah. thing. <laughs> I was not Moon supposed to forget that one. Yeah. Well, and that that is a really good encapsulation of why just the new mutants side of this alone is so vital um, to, if you're a new mutants fan, you can't skip this, you know, it might be a special edition or whatever, but it is so integral to where these characters go uh, for the rest of their series. So, um, you know, there's such an expansive amount of time that is spent in these locations and these characters get to age a little bit. They get to kind of, really live here so that later on when they're asked whether they can whether they want to stay or leave that's an actual decision that they have to make and we believe it um 
you know, because each of the things that they, each of the adventures that they go on are really great and uh, are very engaging. Right. Yeah. It, each person either gets their heart's desire or with magma, they change so fundamentally, they fear they can't go back to Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, yeah. The creative team on this, and to mention that, is written by Chris Claremont with pencils by Art Adams. Uh, My boy, Art Adams. <laughs> colors on the new Mutant special by uh, Christy Sheely and on and on the X-Men one, uh, Petra Scosi, and inks on the new Mutants special by Terry Austin. And on the X-Men annual by Alan Gordon, Art Adams, and Mike Mignola. I just mispronounced his name. <laughs> Mignola. Mignola. I, Mignola. Yeah, I did not I did not know he did inks on that. That's exciting. You know? Yeah, he did he did a lot of inks uh for Marvel and um from what I understand he uh felt bad about that that like he didn't think he was a good anchor. I re- I'm, I'm just drawing from an interview that I heard of, of him. And then he felt kind of guilty about that, um, which is crazy that Mignola was ever not great. But at one point he maybe wasn't question mark. <laughs> if he wasn't great, you know, it was in a different book than this one. Cause everything looks gorgeous in this, the art in this, in these two books are, is it's superb. This is what I think of when I think of art Adams. Absolutely. I miss when he would do the annuals. You know, he did it every year for Mm -hmm. a couple of years and it was so great. And they never felt like extras or filler or like just some extra bucks they were trying to make. Like they, and and you're right, they're real stories that affect the characters. Well, and and Zach, you know that I am a huge Art Adams fan. Um, He's like really one of my favorite artists of any comic book, whatever. Um, But this to me, and along with some of the other annual work, but this book in particular to me is his definitive work. You know, the whole page count, I think, is around 114 pages, something like that. It is, you know, it's a complete mini series in over the course of two specials. Um, and it, every single page is killer. Um, you know, I, I go back to this so often it's ridiculous. So even just from the artistic standpoint, not the, the story, um, which I also absolutely love, um, I think it's a classic and we haven't even gotten into really the X-Men. Oh, you mean the part where Storm um, becomes Thor? And it feels <laughs> the goddess, the goddess of thunder. Nothing about that felt like they would be tacky. Like I know there are times when it'll be like, oh, and now this character is worthy and they can hold the hammer, or this character has Captain America's shield and it doesn't feel earned. And this mm. this version of Storm, who at this point had lost her powers and was mm-hmm. still the you know big leader who had just fought with the heroes of Midgard in the Cert War. She feels worthy. This feels right. And I wish we could see more of Storm Thor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Couldn't they have let her keep the hammer for just a little bit? Like, but it yeah, was her valor. If? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spoiler. But that was her fighting spirit and her, you know, forging ahead with no powers, which had caught the eye of Loki because, you know, Melody excluded, he has fairly good taste in women. <laughs> <laughs> slightly yeah. racist well, in women the way he describes sure there's some there's some asgardian culture you know shock there yeah there there's some rough stuff 
And we've talked before about how, you know, Claremont loves to lean on people falling, villains falling in love with Storm. We just did the, uh, the Dracula oh. issue recently um, where it's kind of like, oh, you're a vampire. Wait, oh, you slept it off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this, <laughs> this doesn't quite, you know, feel like that. It feels earned. And then, you know, again, it, it factors into the choice that they need to make at the end of the issue. Um, I agree though. It would have been so cool if, you know, Mirage wasn't the only person that got to come out of this story transformed a little bit more. Um, cause I think it would have been an interesting era for storm, but I think that's what makes this story so special is we get this, this aspect of her character. Yeah. yeah. That, that she gives that up, you know, really once she realizes mm-hmm. that she's been lied to, you see a bit of a struggle on her face, but you know she's going to make the right choice. And and that's kind of the yes. bedrock of Storm's character. Absolutely. Yeah, this is this is a great distillation of essentially Marvel Comics in the you know mid-80s, which I think for most people is one of the highlights of Marvel Comics as a company. There's just so much good stuff going on right now. And just these two epic, you know, best of the best runs, Walt Simonson's Thor and Claremont's Uncanny X-Men diving together into this beautiful amalgamation. It's something to be seen. It's such a iconic run. It's taking elements that really shouldn't work together and combining them in a way that makes sense for all the characters involved. And that's one of the strengths that Marvel Comics has that very few other mediums have in general you just you can't do stories about you know deep issues about racism and you know how you fit into society in a grounded way and then the very next issue jump into and we're going to go to asgard and fight some trolls and it's going to be a fun time and make it all work that's what's bizarre to me mm-hmm. none of this feels weird none of this feels inorganic it feels right to the characters and the universe and i absolutely love that about it Yep, yep. Yeah, and if I could just expand on that for just a second, um, I I think that if something like this were going to be played out editorially in 2017, it wouldn't be a pair of annuals because we don't really have that concept anymore. This would turn into some weird, like, 12-part multi-artist crossover event, you know, and I love that there's an era of Marvel comics where stuff like this exists and was possible and writers were able to play in other writers sandboxes. Elizabeth, I cut you off. I'm oh, sorry. No. What I was going to say plays right into what you said is that what I love so much about this is you can tell that Chris Claremont is a real fan of Walter Simonson's Thor because he gets so much mm-hmm. of it right. And, yes. and, and he, yeah. he, he has really thought about how each character would relate to Asgard and the opportunities or challenges within like magic becomes a bit more demonic and, you know, um, Sunspot basically becomes Conan, you know, he's just having a ball, you know, and it and yeah. it's it's really cool. I mean, poor Cypher, but you know, he he was always the one who got the short end of the stick. But seeing him and Warlock together and, you know, spoiler, seeing Warlock turn into the Starship Enterprise was definitely a, yes. a highlight. <laughs> well, in, oh, there's, there's some great art, so many great Art Adams Warlock things in this. Mm. It's and awesome. There's, there's mm-hmm. an awesome little crossover that plays up into the Thor story too, where near the end, Carnilla sees all this and she's like, "Okay, no, I want to make mm-hmm. sure that my champions there, like 
it enhances the Carnilla and Balder story that you were getting in the Balder and Brave miniseries and all that in a very interesting way that I really enjoyed. Except, you know, and Miles pointed this out, this is a, a bit of a an error because Carnilla did not want Balder to become king. She wanted Balder yeah. to stay with her. So that was kind of an interesting mm-hmm. little, that was the only like little misstep, but I was so happy to see Carnilla and her amazing hats. You know, like I, I could totally just hand wave that away. See, she's about only, to be kidnapped and, and her head shaved. So <laughs> the, the only misstep, misstep that I was upset about is that Hella comes in and she's wearing her, you know, antler Kirby crown that she doesn't wear in the Simonson run. And I was like, wait a minute, wait, nope. I know the hats here. I know what people are wearing. That's not the hat she had on. <laughs> oh. Hey, that was the hat he wanted to draw, I guess. Yeah, what, what yeah, other hat so would you want to draw? <laughs> wow, I know. If you're going to draw a hat on Hella, you're going to go with the animals, It's like right? Marvel Universe hats. It's Hella's hat. Uh, What's his name? Galactus's hat. And then, I don't oh, know. Yeah. No one else. Did the mm. big gap right there. There are lots of good. Yeah, the, hats. yeah it's Thor's like you hat. Can, you know, Thor has a good hat too. It's just his hat is compact. It's nice and yeah, small yeah, yeah, in there. Yeah. It works. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> we we've talked at length about this story and for good reason. But now it comes time to uh, you know prove its worth on this list. I imagine oh, yeah. it's going to go high. Number one. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm throwing, I'm throwing down Mjolnir. I think it's Here's number one. I, it, it at the very lowest, it, it's it's got to be in the top five, or I'm oh, going to cry because yeah. it's yes, absolutely one of the best New Mutants X Men stories ever to be written, and I will die on this hill because <laughs> this is Galar Brew. This is like this is really important to me. Yeah, that's a. Uh... That's a whole big thing. So here's here's for people who haven't been paying attention at home. Our top five right now is Days of Future Past, God Loves Man Kills, uh, Wolverine Volume 1, Worst X-Man Ever, and Messiah Complex. And I think there's a pretty sizable gap between Worst X-Man Ever and Frank Miller and Chris Claremont's Wolverine. Like, I, yes. to me, the floor, it, it, like, this is going to be in the top five. Four, I don't know where it ranks between Days of Future Past, God Loves, Man Kills, and Wolverine. I would, you know, if I'm throwing this out here, I think it's probably better than the Wolverine story. Yep. I don't think it's as good as God or as Days of Future Past, and I think God Loves, Man Kills may be more of a quote-unquote X-Men story than it, but that's, that's my that's thought. Point. Elizabeth? What, what's your take on this whole thing? Yeah, I would waver between putting it at three or four, like having Wolverine volume one there simply because of its kind of cultural significance and the significance of like Wolverine in in the history of as a character. But but yeah, it definitely above worst worst X-Men ever. And yeah, I would waver between that and Wolverine volume one as being number three. All right, so can y'all do me a solid and put it in at number three? 
because <laughs> I don't need it in number one. I can deal with that. I totally agree that Days of Future Past and God Loves Man Kills are absolute X-Men classics, Stone Cold classics. Uh, but I, I would love to see it in it's the top very three. Good. That would make me a very happy, very happy X-Men like, fan. Here's here's the one downside of Asgard War. Uh, it's complicated as all get out. Like, to get yeah, the that's most true. of it, not only do you have to have a working knowledge of x-men you have to have a working knowledge of new mutants and at least have a good feel of what's going on in simonson's thor at the time there's a lot playing into it devil's advocate devil's advocate i had none of that and i still loved I mean, it yes <laughs> and i still do so but that i think you're bringing up a good point though is that you know i came into this as a complete novice and now if you go and expand and you read what's around it, you know, between new mutants, X-Men and Thor, this just enriches what this story mm-hmm. can be. Um, so it has, has some depth. Um, so I know Zach, you're, you're, you know, a big Wolverine mini fan. So where do you, I'm, you know, I, I, I think this? I agree. I think it is perfectly fine as our new number three Asgard war X-Men. New yes. Congratulations yes. as guardian wars. Oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> you just made me very happy. Thanks, guys. Well, it's like Christmas came early. <laughs> it's it's getting there. But we, we have one other story, <laughs> and hopefully this isn't too anticlimactic. But this is following up on Asgard War, if they made a different choice, if the X-Men and New Mutants decided to stay, if they didn't go back to Midgard. Uh, this is What If, Volume 2, Number 12, what if the X-Men had stayed in Asgard? It is written and penciled by Jim Valentino with inks by Sam De La Rosa and colors by Tom Vincent. This is a, this is crazy. This is a super weird story to be because <laughs> the cover, the cover, let's just start there. It's Storm Thor fighting Frog Thor. Mm-hmm. And that's all yep. I wanted in a comic book right there. Uh, and I, I, I would also like to uh, mention my other personal highlight is that Volstag wears a Bjorn uh, in this story, oh. which I just think is delightful. Did you not yes. know that he does yes, he that? Does. that? That's a thing. Does he do that normally in the Simonson run? Well, yeah. I got to go back. Yep. The cert, the cert sword? Is that what you call it? Surter's sword. Loki, of course, built yeah. some energy sucker to like get the, the energy from Surter's sword to power up himself, and it made... Uh, Volstagg's daughter Hildy ill and eventually all of Asgard so he had to put her in a Bjorn and go out and (laughs) figure it out (laughs) and that's part of what he used to turn Thor into a frog yes all right so follow up Surtur question because Surtur's sword gets broken later in this particular issue but it gets broken by boulders is that like a thing that can happen to Surtur's sword Simonson's Thor (laughs) Yep, yep. Okay. Well, they so, sheathe the sword in 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 Simonson's, but yeah, they, if you can contain it, apparently it'll at least go dormant for a while. Right. I got to yeah. go back and read this. <laughs> I feel a little bit uh, unprepared here. It's a very good run. So let's let's talk about what does happen because not all the X Men stay. Not all the X Men decide to stay in Asgard. You get a handful of them, and we won't go through every single one, but there's some highlights of people who stay. I mean, Wolfsbane uh, decides to stay with Hiram Hari and they have like baby wolf kids. Uh, 
Sunspot and Nightcrawler just decide to swashbuckle their way through Asgard, and it's great. Rogue falls in love with Fandral the Dashing, which, okay, that happens. Uh, Magic mm-hmm. becomes the Enchantress, which is cool. Like, there's a lot of fun stuff here, but what ends up happening is Hela, who was upset that she couldn't take Wolverine's life during uh, the Asgardian War, she wants a soul. She is bound and determined to get it and kind of turns into a giant war in Asgard. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good distillation of what happens. I mean, she does take uh, yeah, Sunspot. Sunspot. Um, it's not a what if if yeah, people don't no, die. No more. It's true. Yeah, this is, <laughs> I would read this a couple years ago and I was struck by, you know, how much Chris Claremont was a fan of Walter Simonson's run. Like Jim Valentino really got this right in so many ways, like both the Walter Simonson, you know, run and the Asgardian Wars. So for a what if it's really, it's really well written, mm-hmm. it's really mm-hmm. true to the characters it, and, and even the art, uh, Jim Valentino. Yeah. You mentioned also penciled it. And of course he's not art Adams, but he kind of evokes that feeling. Yeah, he he doesn't make this look like a book that would have came out directly in 1990 with, you know, one of the image guys, Jim Valentino. It looks, it has a very classic feel to it, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Like, for me, this was very fulfilling because it essentially takes the next chapter from Simonson's Thor and tells it if the X-Men characters were around and it's so much fun to see that as a what if like to me this is what a this is what a what if should be it makes me want to live in that universe it makes me want to see okay if the comics actually did go that direction this would still be awesome yep uh yeah I I also want to just touch on the fact that we've talked about what if before and what if is always like these very dark end of the world scenarios. And I really like that this book um, does both. You can have it both ways with this one. Everybody pretty much with the exception of some characters, we mentioned Sunspot bites it. Um, But most of the main characters have a happy ending in this story, which is very strange for a what if story. However, at the very last page, we still learn that Loki getting granted control of the nine realms is going to uh, throw them well, into no, a black no, hole. Hold on, hold on. I think Correct. No, you read that wrong. Oh, this is tying back to uh, Alpha Flight. All the way back. All these things tied okay. together. We thought this through, guys. Uh, <laughs> right. Because he does get the, the those, who, those sit who sit above, above and yeah, shadow they give him to, his gift. But they, they specifically give him, give him his gift at the end of the universe. So it's yes. like if you've read uh, <sighs> Douglas Adams' uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, there is a location in it called the Restaurant at the End of the Universe. And it's not in a cardinal direction end of the universe. It's at the very last few hours of the universe. You get to sit there, have your dinner from a talking cow, and watch the world end. And it's just that. They just they just transported <laughs> that. So it was the worst possible ending that. for Loki. So it is a happy ending. Which <laughs> is fine. Right. But it's yeah. still a happy ending yes. for everybody else. Yeah. It's pretty both. much. I love it. It's like that rare episode of The Twilight Zone that's like not horribly depressing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the kid, the little child is not going to yeah. kill you with his mind. You're not going to run away in the world. No. Oh. Yeah. 
So I like this. I don't think it's essential by any stretch of the imagination, but for, for folks like, I think the three of us are all expressing that we're fans of these Asgard X-Men stories. This is a really nice little treat. Um, like I, I think Elizabeth noted, Valentino gets it right. You know, the, the he gets the Simon Stinson stuff, right. He gets the Claremont stuff, right. And, uh, you know, his art is pretty solid throughout this book too. So where do we want to rank this? Cause this one's a little bit tricky. So here's, um, here's the first barometer. I think we want to use. We have yeah. already ranked a single, what if story, which was what if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires? I like. <laughs> have you read that, Elizabeth? I have not read that, and now I must. I must. It's very <laughs> good. Yeah, I don't want to spoil for you what is was really a life changing oh moment God. as I read that book. Um, so definitely check that out. And there's a reason that it ranks so high yeah. on our list. Um, but I'm not going to. I really would. I really. We're going to let. I hope it's in my Marvel Unlimited account. <laughs> Not. I had to, I had to trap long box diving for it. But the moment I saw yeah, it, I was, I yes, thank it. you. I will pay 25 cents for you. Totally. totally. <laughs> Definitely yeah. worth a quarter. Um, yeah. I don't think this is uh, I, as I good definitely don't. as, as that. I don't even think it's in the same realm. I was, I, I, was too. I just wanted to make sure we were all on the same page. I don't think it's as good as the X-Men alpha flight. Because frankly, Paul Smith is a better artist no. in these issues than Jim Valentino, who is also pretty darn good. Like, sure, yeah, he's doing a great yeah, job with the storytelling. I was looking lower around um, the Dracula Uncanny issue. I, I was going a little bit lower. We have uh, Uncanny X Men one fifty nine, which is the one where Dracula is around and possesses Storm that we talked about earlier. Uh, that's between Wolverine Snicked and Astonishing Tales Mojo World. Yeah, and we've been using Snicked as kind of like a, a barometer on this list a while because you and I both, you know, realize that it's not essential, but we both really like it yeah, too. I like, so I like Snicked a lot. I, um, I think I like Snicked better than this. I I think okay. that's I think that's fair. Uh, whew, man, that's tough though. Below it, that's kind Astonishing of Astonishing Tales at Mojo that. World, which is another. Elizabeth, I won't be shocked if you haven't read this backup from Astonishing yeah. Tales in the mid 2000s. <laughs> it's a Jonathan Hickman it's uh, another written fun Mojo story, which is crazy. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's about Bobby and um, Sam. Sam, his uh, best friend, the, 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 Cannibal. We've talked Sam, about him a lot you, this episode. Thank you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> jumping into Mojo to make movies for Mojo, and it's very oh, nice. fun. You should check it so, out. So, um, I don't. I I think I think I liked the Mojo World story better than that, but I think I enjoyed this story a lot more than Exiles One and Two. I feel like Exiles One and Two is just where we get to the not so great section of the list. Like I feel like that's the Mm -hmm. big drop off there because below that you've got Fatal Attractions, uh, some Lee Kirby X Men that's just not far from the best Lee Kirby work out there. Yeah. I would I would say number thirty two. Any objections to that? No. Awesome. Yeah, there. that sounds great. So our new number thirty two on the list. What if the X Men stayed in Asgard? And that's it. That's three stories. This has been Excellent. this has been a super fun time. Now, Elizabeth, first off, we wanted to thank you for being on the show. It was a lot of fun, and you know your knowledge of the nine realms really came in handy here. 
<laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Now, if people uh, want to check out the stuff you do, where can they do that at? Oh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Elizabeth F. And that's Elizabeth with an S because my mom got creative. Uh, I also have a, <laughs> I have a personal neglected blog at uh, lizbert.wordpress.com. And then I'm also a part of Geek Craft Expo, which is a line of handmade geeky craft shows. And our next one is in Seattle this weekend, actually, Ooh. at Hangar 38. Magnuson Park. So if you are in Seattle and you want to skip Black Friday and come shop like 80 super cool, like handmade geeky crafters, uh, you should definitely do it November 25th and 26th. Awesome. That sounds great. If I was in Seattle, I would definitely think of attending that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that that's Very cool. cool. Uh, so beyond that, this has been Battle of the Atom. Everything that uh, happens on this show happens thanks to our generous patrons on Patreon. For two bucks a month, you can toss in any story onto this list, and we will make sure to rank it. We actually just got a request in yesterday that I'm very excited for that we'll be doing on an upcoming episode. Uh, if you can't support the show monetarily, I get it. I can't support everything that I consume. But if you want to leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever you use to just take in your podcasts into your ear holes, we'd appreciate that. That really helps us out. Uh, beyond that, everything associated with Battle of the Atom can be found at XavierFiles.com, where I, Zach Jenkins, also have weekly X-Men articles. Uh, it's where we syndicate someone's webcomic that I'm sure he'll mention. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of good stuff. Uh, if you want to follow on Twitter, you can follow me at Xavier Files, and you can hear me rant about X-Men stuff. Adam, Adam, where can people find you online? Uh, guys, you can always follow me at Arthur Stacy on Twitter, and my website is adamreck.tumblr.com. Um, I am trying to put together, a, a at first at least, just a, a web uh, downloadable PDF version of um, Bish and Jube's Age of Strife uh, before the holidays. And uh, with any luck, we may also be able to have a print-on-demand version. But that's a big question mark. So we'll see if we can get that going. Because um, I know I know there are people out there that, that would like a, a follow-up zine to the first one. Um, so, you know, yeah, fingers you, crossed. We'll see what happens. You can't that's, send that's me one of on. them and have me bag it and board it and then have me know there's a sequel <laughs> out there. That's just not printed out. I will just get a photocopier if I have to, but. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see what we can That'd do. Be great. All right. uh, so again, Elizabeth, thank you for coming on. It was a blast to talk about thank Thor and so X-Men and all that good stuff. Thank you. I had a great time. Awesome. 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 Well, uh, this has been Battle of the App, and we hope you survive the experience. Yeah!